Welcome everybody to the Too High Podcast. Uh, my name is Seth Kalina and I'm alongside my main man, Deontay Lee. D, what's going on? Not much, man. I was just telling you I'm a little sleep deprived because we're hitting, uh, we're in, running into some different offenses now. I feel like I sleep easy. I feel like it's the weirdest thing to say, but I sleep easier when we're dealing with 10 personnel. It's not as fun when it's not 10 personnel. Uh, I thought you were sleep deprived because your celly keeps ringing off the hook, but maybe that's a different story. That's a different conversation <laughs> for a different day. <laughs> uh, podcast notes, um, because I'm traveling this week, uh, going to uh, beautiful Cincinnati, Ohio, only one podcast this week. So we, we got both NFL and college coming your way. Um, in fact, I, so that's why we're a day late. In fact, as we're recording this, one of my good friends just texted me saying, where the fuck is a podcast? So we are doing it right now. Uh, and uh, and uh, obviously you guys are listening to it right now. So what are we talking about today? Uh, we're going to start with uh, the Buffalo Bills. We haven't really talked about the Bills. We talked a little bit about the Bills with um, Mr. Ben Solak and Mr. Steve Ruiz. And Mr. Josh Allen finally played a really good game. Even though they beat, they killed Miami two weeks ago, 35 nothing. he was like, eh, shaky. He was great again against, uh, Jesus, Washington. Washington, yeah. And uh, so you wrote about it. What did you see uh, with the Bills? I mean, so, like, the context that I was really going back to look at um, is, you know, like, before I started working at PFF, I, I live in San Diego, right? So I'm not seeing a ton of Bills on my local feed i have sunday ticket but i'm not I'm typically not seeking out to watch the <laughs> buffalo bills um but i had remembered in the times that i watched like in 2018 2019 and they're watching now every time i watch like i feel like they used to have more tight ends they used to play in more personnel groupings than what they do now so i went back to look and it's right like the the thing i wrote about like really what i took away from it was like it's the most interesting thing in the world. Like coming out of 2019, if somebody would have told you that what Buffalo needed to fix Josh Allen's issues was to go as spread as possible to get all the tight ends and fullbacks off the field, go as spread as possible. And we're just going to, and you're going to run like pure drop back, like all the time. You're only running play action on like 15% of your, your, your passes. I would have said you're nuts. There's no way, but you know, if you look at, you know, how this turned out, that's basically what it is. They're all in on the spread. Like right now, through the first three weeks, their number three personnel grouping is 21 personnel. And I don't know if you saw this when I was talking about it in the chat, Seth, but their 21 personnel package is fake. Like of the 18, 21 snaps, eight of them happen in the red zone. So that's essentially that, your short that yard. Their, that's your that short their, yardage package. Their, their basically. package that they do. Basically, yeah. Like that's a short yardage package where you're literally just trying to manufacture yards in the run game, right? There's really nothing else tied to it. Um, so that's really what was interesting to me. And then from there, and you watch it and you'll see, like a player like Dawson Knox, is he Travis Kelsey? No, but he's a versatile enough tight end that you could split him out pretty often, right? And he could live as a true receiver type. But because they play as much 10 personnel as they do, Dawson basically always has to be in line as a tight end because you could never they, they would never have a tight end attached otherwise because they play so much 10 personnel. So like what that means for the run game, for Brian Dable and going away from like all the counter and power that he used to run coming out of Bama, oh even like God, the pin yeah. and pull stuff, you know, that he used to run his first couple of years with, with Josh Allen in Buffalo, like that stuff is kind of going to the wayside now, which makes sense, right? If you're playing with less heavy personnel, 
can't really do as much heavy personnel stuff. Um, it's not as diverse of a run game. So, like, with that, my big thing for them this year is that we're just going to continue to see what we're seeing now, which is just, like, these ridiculous levels of variance in how their offense performs because it's all on one guy's shoulders. Like, it's all on Josh Allen in the dropback game. So some games it's going to be like Pittsburgh where they have a really good game plan. They're taking away those intermediate throws and forcing them to either try to take the top off or check it down. And, get, and then and he's got to hit. And they're getting pressure. Like, right, and you're, and you're pressuring them. Yeah. Right, you know. So it's either going to be that or you get what you get against Washington, which is a team that just wants to rush for and play man all the time. And, and you know, that offense, because they have Stephon Diggs and Cole Beasley and Dawson Knox, et cetera, et cetera. And Manny, my guy. Right. You know, they're able – they can pick out mismatches better than anybody in the league yep. because they have the receivers to take advantage of it. Um, but if you're – if they're not dealing with that, and what I ended my – what I ended my article with was, like, I wonder when defenses are going to start treating them like a true spread or air raid team more often. Because when that happens, that's when it gets interesting to me – for what their next adjustment is because it's not like they can run the ball and they just choose not to they can't run the ball mm. and they also choose not to <laughs> so yeah. you know for that reason like i'm i'm really i have some long-term concerns with them as far as being a contending team this year um but you know enjoy the ride it's going to be high variance every week i think so if you ever listened to the Too High podcast before or before that, the PFF College Football Podcast, you will know that we dislike a lot of different offenses. Yes. This would be, this would be a type of offense, like broadly, philosophically. Right. That structurally. We, structurally yeah. that we would be like, eh, don't do this, blah, 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 blah. When you, now, personnel wise, this is where the, the change is and why why we can say that stuff but also be like, okay, but this offense is also really good because personnel-wise, it fits exactly with what what you can do with a true spread, you know, two-by-two, three-by-one spread, no tight end uh, right. stuff because, you know, and, and this goes back to what we talked about a few weeks ago with the Bills, but you saw it again against Washington, which is if you play man-to-man, like you said, First of all, Stephon Diggs is too good. Way too good. Top five yeah. receiver, top three receiver, whatever in the league. Too good. Too good. Beasley is, is obviously useful in what he does. Like you said, Dawson Knox had a really nice touchdown catch um, against, I don't know if it was man or zone, but it ended up being single coverage. Right. He made some nice play on it. And then you add in Manuel Sanders, who is also uh, a really good top whatever receiver even though maybe we didn't see it as much last year in new orleans he is a really good receiver so they've what they've done is they said okay if you play man coverage we are too good you do not have enough coverage people to deal right. with us right and even if you do even if you have a, a a top 10 coverage guy well we can live in that world with stefan Diggs because he is amazing right and then the flip side is all right so let's play zone you got to do what the Steelers do, which is either just get pressure normally with rushing four, which is not always easy. Or you say, which I think is the better thing, is you come with some sim pressures with some creepers where you don't know right. where the pressure is coming from. Then you get some more free rushers. Then you get some more looks where Josh Allen doesn't know where the pressure is coming and maybe he steps into it by accident, whatever. Because against zone, and he's not like this, this unbelievable, you know, quarterback yet and the thing i'll get to this later but like so what happens against zone is 
he gets out of the pocket. Yeah. If you don't get pressure. Or if you rush with four, and like there was one play where Chase Young comes around the outside and he just dips underneath. So it's like, yeah, he gets a pressure. I, mean, I don't even know if we, we consider it a pressure, but he gets kind of close to Allen, but he just dip, 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 dips inside. There's, there's a wall in front of him because the other guys are just rushing one-on-one. They don't win. He gets outside and against zone, he's, de- he's so good against zone when he gets outside the pocket because his accuracy has become so much better than it was, you know, kind of right. throwing on the run. Than it I mean, was. that used to be the worst part of his game. Right? Anytime he would extend, bad things happen. Yes. And now you extend against zone, defenses don't know who's playing where. Not who's playing where, like they're, they're having a hard Where the time, routes obviously. are breaking and all that. Like, it's tough, right? Not, you're not one-on-one. You're not just glued to a receiver. And he's finding – receivers are finding holes, and he's being accurate with those throws. Now, the, the one thing I was going to say was this should have never happened. I, I know right. I'm, I'm, bringing up, I'm bringing up like old news at this point. But like at the end of the day, Josh Allen – Probably not. Like you could say whatever you want. Oh, the Bills talked to him and he was he knew and they knew he was going to be a star if you put the work in. Blah 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 blah. <laughs> should have never been an early round pick, and therefore he should have never got the chances he kept getting. Especially like first of all, he would have never started, and then he would have never got two years where he played like ass. Right. So it's like we let this happen. We let this. Ha- we let this man become a real, really good quarterback. And now you're seeing that that melange. Sorry for using a French word. I know you don't understand language. <laughs> sorry for using uh, a, a melange of this incredible these incredible attributes and him really becoming a really smart quarterback. And he's not he's not turning the ball over. He's not throwing the coverage. And you know the accuracy has gotten so much better. He's not just flinging it everywhere. Like it's it's incredible. And yeah, I agree. And so I'll, I'll ask you the question. Is when you, when you say, okay, what does that mean when you say, if they're going to be this quote-unquote air raid spread team, what does then that mean defenses have to do? So for them, I mean, it's going to be my, the game that I'm going to have circled for them are the two that they have against New England, right? Because what New England wants to do is play, you know, play with a coverage advantage. This is something that you and I talked about. Um, and some of the other work that we're doing for PFF, um, they always want to have a coverage advantage in terms of bodies. The issue with them, though, is that they want to play one-on-one coverage, right? So, you know, with what, you know, that's going to give me a really good feel for, you know, how Belichick, you know, the best defensive coach that we have in the sport, feels about how you need to defend this offense. Because one one thing that I saw from the Patriots and they were playing the Jets a couple of weeks ago is that when they get in the dime, they do have this like really interesting cover two package that's really that reminded me a lot of exactly what Pittsburgh did mm. against Buffalo. So if that works, now you have you know two different games as a sample size of playing these softer cover yeah. two zones to take away those intermediate throws. You know, and the one thing about that that game against Pittsburgh was, I mean, Allen Allen wasn't making poor decisions, right? right? It wasn't it wasn't a bad game because he was just throwing the ball you know, into the chest of Minka Fitzpatrick. He was taking shots down the field like you're supposed to, and it was just misses. But I think with this offense, that's kind of where you're, that's kind of where you're left at. You know, you're, you don't have to worry about the run game because you know that they don't want to run and they're not very good at it when they do. And you kind of have to, you have to be able to goad them into playing that high variance game. Yep. Because if you just say, hey, we're going to play one-on-one or we're just going to play single high and give you those overs, you might miss a couple. 
but he's going to start killing you on it, yeah. you know? And then the second that you start doing that and you start constricting those areas in the seam, now you get your Stefan Diggs on the, you know, on the digs behind them, on those, you know, post curl routes, on those choice routes and stuff like that behind them. And that becomes its own issue. So that's going to be really telling for me. Um, and the other, the last one I want to make separate from your question um, and why it, it continues to blow me away every time I look at the data on this. And if you look at, all the other quarterback, you know, the best quarterbacks in the 2018 class, right? Baker Mayfield, best years coming now, playing uh, playing with Bill, Bill Callahan and Kevin Stefanski, right? Downhill run game, multiple tight ends, play action pass, keep it easy. Lamar exists in a similar world, but they obviously put a lot more on his legs to create the space that they need to get to the rest of their offense. He's effectively like the only really young quarterback that got more drop back and got better at it, you know, and coming out of 2018 to 2019, like if you were to take what he did at Wyoming, you would say, okay, you get into 21, you get into 12, you get into 22 and you run play action. And if you look at that, <laughs> yeah, man. he was horrible at it in 2018 and 2019. So I understand, I understand the idea behind saying, Hey, we're just going to cut this out because he does not do it well. But the fact that you cut it out and what you replace it with is even more, now you got you basically have to be able to fix the offense with your arms and legs exclusively. That's what blows me away. So to your point about it never being it should have never happened this way, like that's 100% true. And for 99.999% of these cases, this would have been a hilarious failure in <laughs> making and, and, this change. And it does look, you know, like in the Pittsburgh game, it looks it can look like a hilarious right. failure. It's just that I don't, he's too good now. He's too good now. Like, that's the truth. It's not going to happen too often. I do agree with the whole variance idea of this, but it's like, I just think he's, he's too, if he was like 10% less accurate, then yeah, but he, he's so accurate now. Like, I don't get Or if it. they had one less of the receiving yes, threats than they yes, have right now. Yes. Like, if you subtract one of them, then maybe, yes. Maybe playing the variance game with them gives you a little bit of, a much better chance than what it would be right now. But to your point, he's grown too much as a quarterback now and the supporting cast in terms of receiving talent. It's so good that the fact that they don't have a real offensive line doesn't matter. And I don't even know how many, how many teams can you say that about in the NFL, you know, not the Chicago bears, but we're waiting. We're not talking about that. Cause everyone else is talking about that. We're not talking about Justin Fields. Okay. The something I wanted to bring up um, that we've talked about a little bit is well, every, that everyone talks about is pre-snap motion. So we wanted to talk about something that's very a specific pre-snap motion and why it works and why we're we're both kind of into it, or at least I'm into it. Um, when you watch certain teams, so two teams that are doing it this thing, Ravens and the 49ers. What they're both doing, and the Ravens have been doing this for a long time, and I think I'm not sure. I don't know enough about the 49ers offense to know how long they've been doing this. They're definitely doing it this year. So, the Ravens get zone coverage because if you play man coverage, we hear this every time that the Ravens are on, you know, any TV, uh, any like national broadcast. If you play man coverage against the Ravens, he kills you with his legs, Lamar. So teams, they get, man, they get zone coverage because they say, we need to keep eyes on Lamar so when he scrambles, we can go attack him. One of the issues with that, and one of the cool things that your, your frenemy, Greg Roman, has done 
is in the run game, they bring in obviously all these tight ends. They bring in the fullback, Pat Ricard. And what they do with him is they say, okay, we're getting zone. That means, yes, teams can bump over, but we're not going to get an we're not going to get someone who runs with the motion. And what that does is, okay, right before the snap, Ricard will come in motion to the opposite side of the field, and then Lamar will snap it while he's still running horizontally. And defenses don't, honestly, like you would, you want to say like, oh yeah, we'll just bump over, everyone will just bump over. They don't, you don't really see that that often. Teams kind of just stay static. And what ends up happening is you get an extra blocker to the where you want the run to go without an extra defender getting getting over there and they're at they absolutely kill teams with that and then you see that you're seeing it with uh kyle yushek in san francisco where you're getting yep. the same thing they're doing this a lot and i think just in general sometimes they will even like um you know with the 49ers sometimes they, they will just line him up and then motion him and then pause so it's not even just like you know like, you know snap you know a motion at the snap they'll even pause but the defense aren't moving. And so in my brain, I was thinking about this and I was like, okay, well, that's the, the nice thing is when you have these really good, really dynamic players at the fullback or even tight end position, when a receiver goes in motion, alarm bells start going off on the defense because they're changing. Everything is changing for the defense. Oh my God, we got to get over there. We're in man. We got to run. The nickel's got to go because the strength changed, blah, 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 blah. Right. If we're in zone, do we have to check our coverage? Is this quarters now? Do we go to three? Is this cover two? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Everything so, yeah. changes for defense. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, when a fullback moves, <laughs> oh, whoa. It's like, did, did the invisible man just move? Like nothing. It's like nothing changes. So all these teams are getting free, um, again, like we'd say, a free, uh, a free hat on the play side just from motioning the fullback and then obviously um you have two good players i think ricard and use are the two mvps of the league i've said this before i'll say it again because <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of an exaggeration but like yeah like they're so good and then you're getting all these added benefits of having them in the game because defenses just don't move when fullbacks move and yeah i think you can see a lot of that um going forward tough to go find these guys this is always the issue um Tough to go find uh, a second tight end. Tough to go find a right. fullback. They don't exist a lot, and that's kind of the problem. I, was gonna, I mean, finding a guy, finding a guy that's good enough to justify taking another rec- mm. taking a receiver off the field is really the issue you're running into. And um, this go, sorry, go ahead. No, but I was going to say, I mean, another guy off the Shanahan tree. Like one of the things that I really enjoy with Sean McVay isn't so much the jet motion to run outside zone. It's when they go with like stacked receivers or a tight end and a receiver out as the wing outside of the tight end. And then a Robert Woods or a Cooper Cup will come in motion and they run duo. And then they're just smashing everybody down. And now he loops outside. And to your point, it's the same idea. Like you're getting an an additional blocker on a run support player at the point of attack. Um, The 49ers, like you said, like they're great at it. And because they run toss as part of their outside zone, like if you bring that guy over in motion, he's flying up to the safety. They run toss. You're basically eliminating 75% of the defense on the toss to start with because the ball is going to be too wide for any of those backside defenders to get to. And now if you just get a piece of that run support defender, you're out the gate. Like that was Raheem Mostert's, you know, touchdown last year against the Jets Mm. on the first play of the game. Like it was tossed outside zone. 
They bring Juszczyk over. He takes out the run support player and there's nobody else home, you know, and you see that happen often, you know, with the Ravens. That's something that we talked that you were just talking about. And with them, it's almost double. It's almost double the yeah, damage double. because you're reading the end as well. <laughs> so like you you have so they just get so many. It's just this massive humanity at the point of attack. Like you can't be right as a defense. And then the other issue with it is the second that you start tilting your defense to deal with that motion, here come all the nakeds, you know, the bootlegs, you know, the drift routes that we keep talking about. The more you move, the more you get punished for it. So you're in a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. But that's definitely that's like my favorite, maybe my favorite way to get to some of these perimeter runs, um, you know, out of heavy and lighter personnel is bringing these motions across to kick out that run support player. What the, the 49ers are doing, I think I saw another team do it, but I don't remember, is with this motion where they're bringing Juszczyk late, right before the snap, is so like they're bringing him to the tight end side. So like he's on one side of the formation, the tight end, whether it's like Ross Dwelly or Kittle is on the other side. And then so they're bringing him, they're motioning him to, to the tight end side. And the tight end is now they're they're kind of working a double team. So what they're doing is the tight end is now he'll block out the defensive end or the Sam or whatever. And the fullback with the speed that he has coming on the snap is saying, okay, if that defensive end wants to work inside, bang, I hit him right there. And then we'll just create this wide, wide hole outside. And if he doesn't, okay, whatever, I can just work up the hole. But we're kind of double teaming him, even though I've started from, from a kind of a ways away. Um, definitely starting on the backside and then on the snap, you're still not quite there. And I think that's really interesting is the way they're able to create that wide hole just by being like, hey, we're going to mash you with a right. double team that you don't realize the double team is coming because it happens so quickly and you can't adjust to it. Right. Um, my question for you is defensively, um, this is a kind of a broad question, but like, why why do team like why do you not want to adjust like if you're like even let's just even say simply like you you're you're in 11 personnel right slot receiver on one side and a receiver and you have on the other side a tight end and a and a and a receiver tight end motions from one side of the field to the other you're an over team you want to be over to the tight end or whatever right why do teams want to be like, okay, now the uh, t- tight end's over there. Let's, we got to get over to the tight end or why we say, okay, well, we're, we're going to stick into it or we're not going to move. The linebacker is not going to bump. Like what is the thought process there for both sides of the, of the coin here? I think that, um, so using this 11 personnel versus nickel example, one of the issues when you start talking about moving the tight end is you already have, you already have a run support defender detached from the box, right? Your nickel is already, especially if you're in cover one or cover three, he's already basically out of the run fit, right? Because he's got a slot, a slot receiver that he has to handle. So now, you know, this kind of gets back to the conversation that we were just having it, which is how much, just how much investment do you want to make in matching this motion Mm. specifically? Um, So some teams do move the front. Um, I think it's easier to handle at a too high, like, you know, I don't want people to think that I'm just, you know, a shameless shell for playing split safety coverages. But one of the advantages of it is that you can do more in terms of movement of your linebackers 
in order to match up with motion because you can always get a safety involved in the run fit, right? Like that's what that's what somebody like a Brandon Staley can do better than anybody. That's what these two high guys with Vic Fangio and some of these three, four split safety teams are able to do better than anybody. Um, the defense is more balanced. Um, so that way, as things move, especially within the core of the formation, you know, with tight ends, fullbacks, et cetera, et cetera, there's a, there are better answers. If you're a four down single high team, now you start having to make some difficult decisions on, do you change the rotation of your defense? And that's a da- that's a dangerous world to live in because if an offense can dictate how you're rotating, you're going to get taken advantage of every time, right? Like we started this thing, we started this podcast off talking about college football, and the number one thing that we talk about is that backside glance route, right? Hmm. And the second you see that that weak side safety is vacating the seam, it's getting hit right behind you. And the idea still exists in the NFL, right? If I know where you're spinning down to, or where you're spinning from. I can always run. I can run away from the rotation, so you're going to be losing a body in run support for starters. And then if I pass, I can pass the ball in a way where I know I'm going to have a guy. I can pick my matchup basically. So those are the difficulties. Um, and then you know from there, so it, it really just comes down to like, what are you motioning to do? Some teams motion, like we said, to create extra gaps. Some teams motion to get man zone indicators. Some teams motion to get front indicators if you're setting a protection. Um, you know, there are a bunch of different reasons that teams motion, right? You can get a lot of different information out of it. So I think that for a lot of defensive coaches, in order to not give away all the information that an offense is after, you try to stay static, right? And not change your rotation or check, check your coverage all the time. But this is where you you end up with issues like this, right? And this is something that, I was just talking about with the Cardinals last week and my likes and dislikes is how horrible they are fitting. The, they were against fitting the run with Minnesota. And what you're saying is basically exactly what Minnesota was doing. You're on jet motion. They want to play man. So now the nickel comes flying over. The linebackers don't adjust. Cause they're like, well, different, we're in man. So different, right. We're in man. Why do I, why would I move? And now they're running the ball to an open edge basically, or there's nobody to handle the cutback because the linebackers don't have good leverage on the ball. Um, so that's that's really what I think it comes down to when we talk about motion and some of the issues it presents to a defense. There was a good snap. You talk about like running away from the rotation. There was a good snap in the Monday night game, Dallas on offense against the Eagles, when the Dallas when the Eagles showed like a double mug type of front, and then you saw mm-hmm. you saw Dak um, check to a different run. And unfortunately, I was watching. I wasn't. I, I don't have access to the Manning cast, but I was listening to to Brian, Brian Greasy, and he was talking about, oh, he sees the rotation. He sees that they're going to throw the ball. And they end up. What they did was he saw the rotation, and they end up run, running mm-hmm. away. They run zone away, and which is not a bad play against a double mug because you just get one on one. And then exactly what happens? You can bend it back. You can bend and it back. There's nobody on the, the weak rotation. Side so yeah, it's like yeah on paper that weak safety is rolled down he's your cutback player but he's far like just geographically he's right he's far yeah yeah so that's that that's something and i also think just going the kind of answering my own question here is just like the like the speed of the motion is a problem because if you're getting you know you we see this all the time in the nfl you don't see it as much in college but or high school but like you know the tight end will be you know in a three-point stance hand in the dirt next to the tackle in line 
And then he takes, you know, he gets up, gets up, take a step back, yep. And he runs across formation. It's like, hey, you can, you can, you want to go from, you know, you don't want to stay, you want to stay in your overfront when the linebacker switches, he trades, like whatever, no problem. But what we're saying with this particular motion, you know, you can't do that. You don't know when it's coming because it's happening so fast, and then there's not football. And and to that point, every kind of motion is its own kind of motion, right? Like not all motions are created equal. That you know, that's a change of strength formation. You, if you're gonna, if you're gonna adjust, once you start adjusting the motions, you got to have rules to adjust oh, to every God, kind of motions, lot, right? So if you change strength, okay, we're gonna do this with the front. Okay, if the slot goes over here, we're gonna ring the nickel over. Well, is it man or is it zone? Is it two by two or is it three by one now? Uh, you know, those types of things. Is if the back, you know, if you start out in empty and the back comes back in. How, what does that do to your defense? If he starts in the backfield and he motions out in the empty, that's its own motion. So, you know, again, the more that you talk about it, you know, I think that I hadn't even considered that until you brought it up. And the more that I'm thinking about it, I don't want to say it's impossible, but this is, again, why you have to be very careful about the way that you structure your defense, right? Because something like this can put you in a bind. And good off, elite offensive coaches like a Kyle Shanahan where – it looks on paper like all these motions are just happening for the sake of the motion. But you can see as games go on, especially like when he's rolling, when he really is on top of his play calling, you can see as you go back and watch the kind of information you can gather from that based on what the defense is doing or not doing. So, you know, these are just the kind of dangers that you run into when you start talking about how you want to uh, deal with or adjust to or not adjust to motion. Yeah, it's not it's not. um there's no right answer, I would say, and it's it's tough. The offense is always going to have the advantage in this in this particular scenario. No, the, you can just play man. I guess that's the answer. And then you get cooked by Lamar Jackson's right. leg. <laughs> exactly. You get cooked by Jimmy G's scrambling. But no, uh, okay. Um, next thing we want to talk about um, was the Patriots' offense and. They bring in, in the offseason, they go out, they get two new tight ends. They obviously get the receivers too, but we wanted to focus on the tight ends because we think it's interesting because what we're noticing is that kind of like the defense is dictating what they do with the tight person with their own personnel packages. So they week one they played a an a three four team in the Dolphins. So what we say, the general rule is, okay, you're playing an, an odd front team, a 3-4 team. What you want, they're a balanced defense because the no, they have a nose tackle. The nose tackle is sitting in front of the center. That balances them. So how do we unbalance them? Like that's our job on offense to say, okay, we got to unbalance you because we don't want to let you live in this world where um, you can just do whatever you want to do on defense. So how do we unbalance you? Okay, we're going to put, and this is what the Patriots did on 35 snaps, I believe. We're going to play two tight ends next to each other on the same side. YY wing, hip slot. So what this does now, the changes where this, you know, it changes things, right? So the defense got to adjust to that and they got to start moving people over because now you have too many gaps um, to deal with. One of the issues with an odd front team is, uh, if you especially you put the tight ends there and then you get a C gap that's a little vacant, you do have the B gap too, depending on how they play the odd front, but like um, you got a C gap problem. Now you have two gaps um, between the where the defensive end was and where the kind of down linebacker is coming. 
which is a problem. Uh, I saw LSU, actually, I saw LSU have massive problems against this when they played Ole Miss in 2019 against Rich Rodriguez's offense. So, like, anyways, you have this issue of, like, you have too many um, gaps without a first-level defender. And what do you not want to have defense? is two gaps in a row without a first-level defender. So the Patriots are like, all right, cool. You want to be an odd-front team? No problem. We're both 12 personnel because we just bought these two tight ends. We just bought John Smith and we just bought Hunter Henry and they're good players. We're going to put them on the field. And we're going to run to them too. We're going to run outside zone to them. We're going to run duo to them. Okay, good. You know, the offense is not good in general, but like I get what they're doing. You know, they only score like 16 points or whatever, but I get what they're doing. I see the structure. You you understand it. Yeah, I get it. Now they go against the Jets, four down, Robert Saleh. You go against the Saints, four down, Dennis Allen. I got like less than 20 snaps and 12 personnel in two games. So it's like you're letting – because now in four down, we don't necessarily need to. We want to be a little more balanced. We want to be like a tight end on each side. Um, So they're like, all right, well, screw it. We're going to play 11 personnel because we want another third receiver on the field because we don't need this second tight end to build uh, a four-man surface. And it's like, okay, but you don't have good players. <laughs> like, that's the issue. And this goes back okay, to what great, we were talking about but, with fullbacks, right? Like, if you don't, ha- if you can't justify taking one of your two best players, which Hunter Henry and John Smith both are objectively two of their best offensive players, just to put another another slot on the field, it just doesn't make sense. Their their receivers aren't winning one on ones right now, and Mac Jones, you know, for. For I think as as decently as he's shown throughout the first three weeks, he's not at a level where he can no. beat NFL defenses with his arm yet. You know, he doesn't, and he doesn't have enough of a grip of the playbook yet. I think is pretty clear as well to be able to make the kind of adjustments that that offense asks its quarterback to make based on the looks that they're getting. Um, so I would like to see them. You know, and you can, I understand why they go away from it, right? As you were saying, twelve personnel against three four. You, you can stretch the edge really wide, right? That's why 12 personnel is so useful. Um, and, and that allows you to stay downhill and find, you know, you're able to create bubbles in the run game, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're in 11 personnel versus 3-4, both B-gaps are closed. You got an open edge on one side, so you got nobody, you have nothing to stretch out the edge there. And they have an outside linebacker on the outside of um, your tight end, right? So the defense is in a good, is in a good spot. Um, and I think that you you kind of brushed by the point, but I think it's a good one, which is like, how often do we see an offense allow a defensive structure to dictate the way that it approaches the game? It, it never works in that direction. Um, and I, I don't know if I understand why it is that it's this way. You know, like you said, you're able to pick up on the tendency now. I think that I, I want to see it for a few more weeks before I really say something definitive about, yeah. you know, well, good or bad yet. But I, I don't think I get why they're doing what they're doing right now. I think, you know, so I saw this after week two. So they had seen the Dolphins. They did it. Then they saw the Jets. They didn't do it. And now I, I, I said at that point, like, let me see the next two weeks because the next two weeks are going to be against, again, a four-down team in Dennis Allen. But then in the big Sunday night game coming up, they have the Bucks. So like, what are the Bucks? They're gonna go in twelve personnel. The Bucks are gonna match with, with base. They're gonna run their thirty-four base, and it's like, all right, well, is, are they gonna go back to the twelve because they know that they're the Bucks are a three-four team? So that is honestly something very interesting to look at because it's like, 
I think that gives you like I like the Bucks didn't stop the run, but these are your best players, and like the Bucks will kill you. I know the Bucks have cornerback issues, so maybe that'll be uh, something that to look for. So maybe they'll say like, okay, well, you guys don't have cornerbacks. Your your you know Richard Sherman is visiting you. Um, maybe he'll sign with you guys. He's not good at you know he's old or whatever. So we're gonna put three receivers on the field. I don't know. Maybe that'll be it. But I think we can really we can get pretty definitive if they go into twelve personnel running YY wing sets against the Bucks three four. I think we can get pretty definitive that this is who they they want to be. And it's always it's always interesting because it's like I just feel like at the end of the day, put your best players on the field. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. All right. <laughs> I don't know. Let's put your best players on the field. I can't even name you who the third receiver. It's an it's an idea, you know. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I I don't know who their wide receiver. It's Aguilar, Jacoby Myers, and man, let's that's just never, let's just never. First of all, him. those first the fact that those are the first two <laughs> names that came out of your mouth and we yeah. don't know who the wide receiver three is tells you how nasty that receiving core is. Look, Aguilar had a free run at one of the safeties in New Orleans. Either it was PJ or Jenkins. One of those, like, the same point, like, quarters or cover two, and they didn't get a reroute on the slot, so he just got this free run, vertical, he's going 20, and he's going to run that corner post. And it was like, like, that's it? It's like, you're the, you're the number one receiver on this team? You can't even run right. a corner post? Right. Anyways. Okay, next topic. Um, something that we've been talking about quite a bit um, amongst ourselves is targeting. In college and in the uh, NFL, obviously, it's a big deal in college right now. And um, just wanted to talk through some of the ideas that you had about basically how to get rid of uh, leading with the crown of your helmet. Yeah, I mean, it's honestly... So the conversation kind of came up between us and a few other colleagues, right? You know, late in the late in the Sunday night football game, um, and I and I and the conversation was being had, you know, across social media as well. And I understand some of the frustration that comes up with some of the penalties. Um, and I, but I think that one of the mistakes that we continue to make is that we still do this like screen grab at a particular point of contact and say, hey, there's a shoulder involved, and we can't act like, we cannot continue to behave as if having a shoulder involved in the tackle is like absolution uh, from an issue, you know, from an illegal, an illegal level of contact. So like on that hit, is the brunt of the contact given above the head or neck? No, like it is given pretty squarely in the chest. But the issue that, the issue that I brought up um, between us and our colleagues is, the fact that the head drops it all is an indication of an illegal attempt to tackle someone. And we have to be mindful of that. Um, I think that it's not about judge. We have to, get, I thought we got away from judgment of intent, you know, five, six years ago. Like it, it doesn't matter what the intent is. If a guy's head snaps back, you know, because of contact that you initiated, then yes, you have to be held responsible for it. And, and I understand that a lot of people say, well, what are you supposed to do? You know, and I said, as a defensive coach, you know, and somebody who thinks about the game outside of my own coaching, just somebody who thinks about the game from a defensive mindset, sometimes it's okay to say that the answer is not like that, you know? You know, like we have to be more cognizant of that. There are different ways, you know, you brought up, 
you brought up something that I hadn't even considered that I thought was genius, which is to drill in the coaching point of if you know that you're moving too fast to be able to brace yourself in a way to protect the receiver from your contact, involve your hand, use your hands as a lead, as a lead piece of contact, because that what that's going to do is it's going to brace you for one. And then so that's going to help both you and the receiver. And that's going to separate him from your momentum for a brief second, right? Like they're acting, your hands and arms get to act as brakes for a moment. Um, That that was a smart idea. Well, I'll just just tell you where I got it from because I I think I got it from the lead, like at some point, I don't know, five years ago, six years ago, and I'm sure it was like that everywhere in North America, but they were like, okay, crackback blocks, we're done with them, illegal hits, we're Mm -hmm. done with them. But their thing, what I remember was you you could peel back or crack back not a crackback necessarily. I'm talking more about peel back on a kick return right. interception, but was hey, if you if the first point of contact is with your hands, and I could be totally wrong, and I really hope I'm not wrong, but the first point of contact is with your hands. We were we're okay with it, but you cannot be with your even if it's shoulder to chest. It no, it's done. We're, we cannot do this anymore. Right. And I think I think um, some, a point that you made was just like, yes, I get it again. It's like, yes, OK, it's shoulder to chest or whatever. It's not even even the even the ones that aren't crown of the helmet, which we know for sure crown of the helmet. We can't have anymore. Right. The way I see it is just like, guys, it's OK if you don't make the play this time. Like, I'm right. sorry to say it like that, but it's like you. I, I hate, yeah, beat, I hate to say it that way. Too. You got beat by a step or whatever you can't make the play anymore it's illegal for you to make this play anymore if you want to do right. it like that like, like I, I don't know how else to, i don't know how else to do it and keep the game safe right like and you know another one of our friends uh made the made the very simple but salient point like you either want to legislate out dangerous contact or you don't like you there's not there comes a point where you cannot continue to parse what kind of contact you're going to allow. And that gets to the point that I was making about like, you have to take intent out of it. You have to take, you have to take the idea of shoulder led contact being legal out of it. I've seen Ray Lewis clocked plenty of people with just the ball, just the ball joint of his shoulder that I can 100% say is contact that we should not allow in the sport. Right? Like, and it's not, not, you know, my joke was, this is not an indictment on this person, you know, this person's humanity. I'm not saying that he beats dogs for hitting somebody in a way that's against NFL rules, but we have to legislate out certain kinds of contact. And to your point, like a guy that's completely laid out, full extension, trying to catch a ball on the seam. I understand. You're trying to dislodge the football. I get it. I get it. I get it. And I'm not saying I'm not even saying that I disagree with I'm not saying that I disagree with the approach yeah, um, from Jimmy Ward. I'm not, I'm, not at, I'm not mad at I'm not mad at I'm not mad at Jimmy Ward at all. Like I get it. The point of playing defensive back is to not allow completions. And you made a decision that you were going to do whatever it took to not allow a completion. I'm not mad at that. But that also means that sometimes you're gonna get called for 15 yarders. Yeah. And that's okay too. You know, and we have to we have to make sure that we're policing it because what we can allow is enough of a gray is enough of a gray area where a hit like that happens with a player like Jimmy Ward, and now it's not shoulder to the chest, right? It's shoulder right underneath the chin strap. And now you got to go on commercial break for five to eight minutes because a guy is in bad shape, yeah. you know? Like, that's that's not good for the game at all. 
So, you know, and my thing, you know, my thing is just that if that's the trade-off I have to make to make sure that this game is played in a way that's conducive to everybody's health as much as it's possible, considering that, you know, we're basically asking guys to get into car accidents, you know, 40, 50 times a game, then that's just what it's got to be. Like, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't have an, I don't have another genius answer for you. Some tackles are just going to be against the rules, and we got to be okay with that. Because it's like, you know, I say the hands thing. The hands thing is a good idea, but it doesn't change enough. What changes the whole thing is just being like, you can't do this. Like, sorry, we can't have violent collisions anymore. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, you know, you were in chat when I got into it with Justice during the Ohio State-Oregon game, right? Yeah, when I was. Uh, when, when Baby Sewell, when Baby Sewell got, got penalized and it was ultimately retracted for targeting, when Chris Olave kind of turned his back and he, he was harping in on the point that a receiver turned his back. And why does that make him defenseless? And I'll, and my point is that again, we can't continue to harp on these very minute mm -hmm. points. The issue is not trying to find out when a receiver is or is not defenseless. The issue is when you drop your eyes on contact, you are at that point, you are opting out from making the safest the safest contact possible. The second you drop your head, what you're telling me as an observer is you are not concerned with whether or not you're being reckless. You're trying to make this tackle by any means necessary. And hey, if that's how you feel like you got to get a guy on the ground, I can't tell you how to make a decision in a split second. That's not what I'm trying to say. But if you make a legal contact, you're going to get a 15-yarder. And if you're in the NFL, you're going to lose your game check for it. And that's the trade-off. That's the way this works. I want guys to continue playing football. Yeah. It, it's that simple. It, honestly, it's still a good game. It's still a good sport. You can still right. talk it's an, about it's it in an fun ways. Sport. It's still an amazing sport, even if you're not. Um, maybe I can, you know, you've seen some of my clips playing safety in flag. So maybe I can get a shot now that there's no contact. <laughs> I will say the one thing is that I do agree with with everybody is the ejection in college football. That has to change. It has, can, yeah, it has can, to go. Because that we can get into a little bit of. The flag, 100%. 15 yards, make it 20 yards, make it 30 yards, like whatever. Make it a touchdown to the other team. I, okay, that's maybe it's a little too much. But like the kid, the kid, the 19-year-old, the 20-year-old, who's just doing what his coach tells him to do, for the most part, there's some bad apples, but for the most part, does not deserve to be ejected from a football game. One of 12 that he's going to play right. in, a, in a calendar year. Like, I'm sorry. Right. That no, I agree. It hurts me in my heart when I see that. Well, it goes back to my to my issue that I brought up earlier, which is that we can't make judgments of intent. Yes. We have to take that out. This is not a matter of feeling. Okay, we have. This is one of those things that you just kind of have to be a little bit cold and scientific about. Is the contact illegal or is it not? And if it is, you call it. But more times than not, what we can say. The one thing I will give the sport of football credit for is that. Once, once it declared that these types of con that this type of contact was an issue, it was extremely yes. proactive yes. in legislating it out. And now I think we're at the point where everybody understands what's clear and what's not clear yeah. in terms of tackles and blocks. Right, so we don't have to be as punitive in terms of ejecting guys. And more times than not, it's an honest mistake. You're moving at 18 miles an hour <laughs> trying to make contact with the guy. It's not going to be a complete form-fitting tackle the way it is, you know, on a, on a bag or on a sled. It does need to be legislated out, but we can't always eject guys. I don't like the message that that sends either. I, I agree with you on that.
Okay, before we transition to our college football talk, I'd like to remind her that, of course, two for one, uh, two for one podcast, Jesus, that, of course, the Too High podcast uh, is sponsored by Homefield Apparel. Homefield Apparel is a premium collegiate clothing brand out of Indianapolis, Indiana. Incredibly comfortable, officially licensed apparel with vintage college designs. Homefield is in the middle of a big new Saturday season two, where they launch a new school collection every Saturday at noon Eastern for 16 straight weeks. And what was the last thing they released? Your USC Trojans. Yeah, um, Connor, I need somebody to reach out to, man. <laughs> you said here. <laughs> yeah, uh, look me up. So go to uh, homefieldapparel.com, uh, put in promo code PFF for 15% off your first purchase. That is homefieldapparel.com, promo code PFF for 15% off your first purchase. Okay. Let's get into college because we have some three, uh, sorry, we have two really big games we want to talk about. And then we obviously want to talk about Clemson to start because oh my God. it's bad, it stays bad, and it's not getting any better. Uh, Clemson's offense, talk to me about it. Okay. Okay, so the, the note that I have at the top after watching it, I think you can kind of sum it up. You can kind of sum up the state of affairs at Clemson. And what I said was, there is no world that exists where North Carolina State should feel comfortable blitzing you and playing man-to-man oh -man coverage. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. They did it so – oh, my God. I'm that, glad you said that. I'm glad you said that. that. There is no world that exists that a, a program like Clemson should, can't get separation and punish NC State for sending five and playing cover one. That, to me – like, if you want to talk about something I was embarrassed by, that's embarrassing to me. And I don't know, based on based on the tape, and we've continued to revisit this all year long, what they're doing is not going to fix these problems. <laughs> it's just not. Like one thing I will say from like a coverage, a route concept against coverage perspective, this offense has always been built to force teams to play cover one and punish them for it. And to their credit, if you rush four and play cover one, a lot of their stuff is good, right? Like you, you talk, we talked about like, Hey, they run smash all the time. You run sale concepts, you run these flood concepts all the time. That stuff is great against cover one, at least on a whiteboard, right? Cause you're just picking out your matchup and you typically have a leverage advantage, right? So you either got your one-on-one -on -one outside that you like, or you got your slot who's running a route that's really hard to cover in man. What do we like against men? Intermediate breaking routes. There right. Go. Exactly. Sale, Press a guy upfield and snap in or snap right, out. Yeah. <laughs> like, Simple enough, right? That the issue that they're having is something I never thought I would see at Clemson, which is that only one of their receivers can no, get any bad, separation. Bro, Justin bad, Ross is the only player on their roster bad. that can get open. And if you look at the way that the targets are going, he's the only guy that DJ trusts. So like you're gonna continue to run into these issues now. Every nobody on the outside can win. Your best receiver is in the slot, and teams can pressure you and affect the quarterback. That means he's only got one chance to look. He's only got one look at the defense. It's, and that's what you're going to continue to see over and over and over again. It's like not a good roster. It's not. Uh, offensively. It's not I, a yeah, good roster, man. I don't the, know the how this happened this no fast. The running back is not Travis A. Chen. I don't care who you are. You're not Travis A. Chen. And he's just, he's just average, I guess. And like you said, the receiving core outside of number, uh, number eight, I think, uh, yep. is just not that good. They're just and not then, good enough. And then compounding all of this is, well, two things. One, DJ is not the quarterback that we thought he was. 
Yeah, at least not right now. Not like, right now. Firm, now. He made two. Firmly, the, I can say firmly, he yeah. is not who I thought he was right now. Me too. He's just the accuracy is not is not good enough. It's I will give him credit. Enough. I'll give him credit in this game. I think coming off of the Georgia Tech game, I think that he was he clearly had an understanding that he had to push the ball downfield more. And I thought that he did a better job of at least taking some shots, hmm. especially when he recognized that he was seeing single high. Like his his average depth of target this week was like significantly higher by like four or five yards than what it had been on average throughout the season. But still, like you got to be throwing deep. Don't get you points on its own. You got to complete the passes, and not all of them were on target. You know, he has some good ones, but you know, on the whole, on there average, two, there was so pretty the, bad. It's misses. like there's two insane plays on the touchdown, the first touchdown drive that yep. put them up seven nothing or tied the game at seven, whatever. Where he throws his corner out, where he's like on on a line, to line. double coverage. Right. And then the touchdown throw when he throws it at the back of the end zone where but the problem is like, yeah, this is what we think DJ can do, but you you're you also have to pair it with some play from other pocket. Stuff. And it's just not there right now. And my point that I made to you earlier today was the lack of diversity in the offense is one thing, but I think one of the issues is there they don't go fast. You know, well, we're, we're going to yes. talk about Ole Miss in a second. <laughs> Ole Miss ain't do shit on offense. But guess what? They do it at 100,000 miles an hour. And you don't know what that – they do just enough things that you don't know what the hell's happening. And they're reading this. They're reading that. And the receivers are running de- deep or whatever. Clemson is not – like, they're, run, they're letting you line up. They're letting you say, see the formation. They're saying, oh, I know in this formation I can get this, this, and this. Good. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Thank you. That's it. I have – so I'm gonna ask I'm gonna ask you a question. Okay. I don't know if you've looked at this, but I want you to take a guess. How many personnel groupings do you think Clemson has played in for more than 50 snaps? One. One. Eleven. That's Eleven it. personnel. Yeah. Eleven personnel is by far the the next highest usage is twelve. And they've only got twenty six snaps yep. on it through three games. And I, I I wonder where those snaps are. That's the other thing. I no bet matter, those are all like red yep, zone, You can vamp, and I'm gonna look. I'm gonna look at the field position group because I have it open right now. While this thing loads, like, but to your point, yes, like if you're, this is the same conversation I have about USC, right? This is we're gonna continue to come back to this. We talked about it with like single back run game. The idea that an offense only has to do one thing well, it's done, guys. Yeah, it's tough. At least, if you're only going to do one thing well, you have to do it the way you described it, which is moving at a speed that you can't keep up with. That's what gets some of these other schools by, right? Like, when we talk about a, a team like, we're going to get to Arkansas, when you start mm-hmm. talking about, like, that Brile system, it works the best when you're flying up and down the field, right? Because it does, at that point, it doesn't even matter that we're, that we're not subbing guys in and out. Because we're moving faster than you can adjust. But to only be in 11 personnel, basically always ever be in 2x2 two two and 3x1. There's no bunch. <laughs> There's no bunches. They don't, no they stacks. Motion. Like, there are RPOs. You're playing up against a team that basically stayed in too high almost all game. And their RPOs are hitches and speed outs. I'm sorry, guys. It's not enough. I thought that we I thought that we solved the how to attack cover three with RPOs Where's like the four glance? years Where's ago. Where's the glance? 
Justin Ross is Justin Ross is like six three, dude, with like one of the best catching radiuses in college football. I watched that guy make catches that nobody else has made since 2019. And he's running he's running hitches on RPOs with the overhang standing right over the top of it. I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it. And this this thing has it has to evolve. This is going. They are going to lose another football game. They are they going to lose a third football game and maybe a fourth football game. Yes, they are going to lose more football games if this stays this way. Like that's and that's not an exaggeration at all. Uh, yeah, like this was, this was just um, it was. It's been coming, um, but we thought that. I think we thought the personnel would would they would continue to get. I think we just thought they would continue to get away with this because this is something we've talked about for a long time. And with the Clemson offense, and they keep getting away with it. But the, the personnel, like we said, is just not good enough. And I think they're saving grace, which is the five-star quarterback who looked really good last year in the two starts, is just not that quarterback anymore. So they, you know, it's always like, okay, well, we can cover up, you know, this, this, all these holes in the ship with this DJ person. But he just, he just unfortunately, he's not it this year. And it's the, and now, now they're drowning in it. They haven't been able to move the ball in any game this year. Nope. They played who they played South Carolina State. Like okay, that great. was it. Okay, fake. that's a fake game, guys. Not a real. Might as well have been, might as well have been a scrimmage. That don't count. Sorry. So you played three FBS teams and you could not move the ball against any of them. You got problems, man. You got and, massive, and in, massive problems. And I can tell you now, NC State is not going to be the best defense that's on no, the schedule. No, they're in, they're in trouble. But to answer your question, I, I don't. I hope they have Narduzzi. That would be interesting. Yeah, twenty six snaps in twelve personnel overall. Sixteen of them either happened in the red zone, at the goal line, or backed up. So within so their own then what's left? It's a what's fake. Left? It's a fake personnel package. Yeah, just like we were talking about with the Bills. That's essentially their whole short yardage offense right there. So you just and um, I'll, I'll add this. I don't remember we ended up talking about this on the podcast recently. But after the Georgia Clemson game, the Clemson lost and they didn't move the ball again. You know, I wrote the article and we talked about it again. I don't remember if it was private or public, but we talked about how Georgia, because of Clemson, their run game, specifically their run game is very undiverse because it's like, hey, the back is to my left. That means we're going zone left. The back is to my right. I mean, we're zone right. And there's just not enough, you know, they can put the tight end on either side, but there's not really enough that they do. And they don't love running their quarterback. So you don't add that extra, you know, that, that extra hat there. So, so Georgia, and I said it was a fit and fold uh, kind of defensive thing where they kind of, kind of see where the flow is going and then they force a cutback to an unblock linebacker. Mm-hmm. What I think it was, and being told by uh, smarter people than me, was that it was literally they just said we're gonna we're gonna cross dog you, like we're gonna blitz your run game, and we don't even a we don't we're clearly not don't care about your passing game because they 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 knew before everyone else it was gonna stink, and we know where you're gonna run the football, so we're gonna what we're gonna do is the linebacker, that's kind of away from where the run is going. He's going to angle and knife into the front side A gap. And yeah, if you block it up, great. But because he's coming with sp- from, from depth with speed, he can get a little bit of penetration into that front side A gap. And then the running back is saying, well, I, I, I'm not going to. I got to cut back. I got to right? cut back. I have to cut back. And what that does is the, the kind of front side linebacker 
who just saw his buddy run across his face to get into the front side A-back says, oh, I can't, I'm not going to backside A-gap because I know the cutback is coming right to me. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it kind of works like a fit and fold and it kind of works. And, it, and it, But what it is is like an X cross dog stunt. But like, <laughs> you can do that. You can get away with it. And they ran it like eight, nine, ten times in the game. You can get away with it because the offense is telling you where the ball is going. All right. There you go. Uh, you're muted. Unmute yourself. Said it's very bad and not good. And they should feel bad about good. it. We got it. All right. Okay. This. Okay. I want to add this. I forgot to tell you I was going to talk about this. Um, but it's something just, it's very little. We're talking about for two minutes. I just happened to watch Texas A&M's defense against. Oh, it's good. We're going to transition here. I just happened to watch Texas A&M's defense against Kent State. And remember, so we talked to Dustin Crone, the Kent State quarterback, and we've been talking about it for a long time. They run the super spreader offense. And how do you beat it? Because we don't really have an answer. If And I still don't really have an answer. If you have equal talent, it's still tough to, to deal with. But what, what I thought was really cool was what Texas A&M was, did. Don't ask me why I watch this tape. But what Texas A&M was doing was play cover one. That's, our, that's always the first answer with any offense. If you can play cover one, play cover one. And what I thought was really cool was, and again, it kind of plays into the same thing of knowing where the run is going. What they were able to do was kind of blitz an extra player because you're in cover one and you do have an extra player to the side of the back. And unblocked with speed, hand the ball off. He's coming down the, down the edge and he's going to make the tackle. He's always going to be free. And I thought that was a really smart game plan. Um, for Texas A&M to deal with uh, an interesting offense, though an, inter- an offense that they can just handle kind of personnel-wise if they wanted to. Okay. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> That's it. Um, so Texas A&M just lost to Arkansas. Arkansas is about to play Georgia. Let's talk a bit about Arkansas defense because for two years now they have been really, really good um, underrated. I think people are starting to come around to it. Obviously, last year they had a better season than anyone thought. So um, kudos to Sam Pittman, what he's done. And honestly, kudos to Barry Odom, former Missouri coach, comes back. He's now he's a defensive coordinator. They're doing stuff that is fresh, playing with three down linemen, playing three two six, playing three high safeties. What are they doing that you um, that you're enjoying out of the Razorbacks right now? I think that, you know, the most impressive thing is the fact that they can generate pressure with three down linemen. That unlocks a lot for a defense, especially for a defense like them that has, I think they have NFL talent up front and maybe not NFL talent in the secondary. And for a lot of teams that have that problem, you know, we talked about this with Ohio State at different points, right? Throughout last year, when you don't have that kind of talent in the secondary, a lot of times it doesn't matter what you're doing with pass rush. But because of the structure of their defense yes, and yes. the fact that they can generate that pressure, you can kind of paper over a lot of the issues that you might have otherwise, right? That was basically why Texas couldn't find any airspace to do anything when they played against them, right? Is they're getting not only are they getting pressure with three, but if they're dropping eight, that means that I have to extend. Well, how do I extend if all of my linemen are getting their asses kicked, right? Like that becomes its own issue. Um, so that's that's number one for me. Number two is, and this is also tied to being able to to win with three down linemen, is how much dime they play. Like they're up above 40% so far this year 
in dime personnel. And it's basically, I mean, like you said, they're either in three high or they get into like, you know, a three, two, six odd front where what would be your outside backers are really your nickel and dime players. But again, to that point, the more, the, the more you can do to stop the run with a light box, the better it is for you in coverage. And that's, I mean, that is the mantra for their opponent that they have coming up this week. Like that is Kirby's deal. And I think that, you know, I'm getting ready to write about them because I think that that's something that they do better than anybody in football period. Um, But that's, I mean, that to me is the key. When you start talking about these explosive offenses, these downfield offenses, the more you can get out of your pass rush or being able to gum up the front when teams run the ball, the better you're, the better off you are in covering the pass, and that's why they've been as successful as they've been so far. Yeah, and I think one of the things that's impressed me about Odom, like kind of from a play calling perspective, is his patience. Mm-hmm. He just won't get out of it. Right. Just won't get out of it. But whether it's like, looking you know, great like or not, in a, in a good way. Um, and obviously, they haven't been tested, but uh, not tested. They've been tested. But they haven't been in a game where I was like, oh, my God, we just got 21 points scored on us. We got to change stuff. Like they, They've been so good that he can mm-hmm. be patient. But still, I think that is a virtue um, in this sense where he's like, we're not going to come out of this. We're not going to go to a four down. We're not going to go to this. We're not going to change it because, you know, it's been working. And I think that's that's um, that's really good for them. I, we'll say on the other side of the ball, Texas A&M offense. Hey, boy. Uh, quarterback, uh, yeah, that's a very issues. that's a very kind way to put it. <laughs> quarterback has some issues, and I don't love the matchup of Jimbo Fisher versus this style of defense. I, I think, don't either. I think you need to like it's on, and they had some good concepts that they probably drew up for this week. I'm sure, but like you really gotta. <laughs> You really got to change. It's really kind of playing against some an option defense, whatever. Like it's very different, and you gotta like you gotta be different on offense, and you can't just yeah. run your shallow cross all the time and try and get the tight end on a dig route. Like, well, this is what route. that all. This is what this this defense is built to take away. Yeah, right. Like you're taking away those win those manufactured open windows that you used to see in older styles of of coverages and, and front structures. That's exactly what Arkansas is built to cause problems for. So to your point, like the, all the standard stuff that looks typically looks really, really good in an offense like and Jimbo's. Who, who runs it's a not lot there. of standard offense? Jimbo Fisher. Yeah. That is, I mean, he is the standard offense guy. Yeah. So yeah, this is not a it's not a good matchup for them. And then again, going back to your point, which is that those three defensive linemen, two inside linebackers can play. They're good players. They, I mean, really they fit. Players, they yeah. fit the hell out of the run. Yeah, like no, they. Well, this is something that I noticed watching the three high stuff. You know, when I kind of became a thing recently, or the past couple of years, was like, what you can kind of do is your your two inside linebackers can really be like aggressive, fitting mm-hmm. run front side, knowing that the kind of middle safety guy or whoever else you have can can sort out a cutback later. Right. And I mean, it's the same thing that uh, Marcus Freeman was able to do at Cincinnati. Yes, exactly. He's kind that. of starting to work towards that yeah. game. Like, it, it does, it create, you know, and this is something that I've brought up before, like creating layers in your defense, mm. right? So that way you, you create relief for guys. So that way linebackers, which are typically in no-win situations, can play downhill, you even know, almost like how you, even if you're just playing, if you're supposed, even if you're supposed to be playing a soft zone, 
you can yes. liberate your guys to play downhill if they get a run key because there's enough vertical depth in your defense that they've got, they have time, right? You're protecting them. It's the idea. It's basically like it's just adapting some Tampa 2 principles to yeah. the spread era That's it. is effectively what we're looking at. You know who sucks at playing Tampa 2? Philadelphia Eagles. Oh, man. <laughs> Very much so. Every, it's just tough. The it's Eagles like, suck at everything, dude. Well, this is the problem, and I just don't think this deep, like, <laughs> getting off topic here, but it's like, I don't think that, like, and I haven't rewatched the tape, so I'm not going to watch the Eagles defense, like, from the offense. And you shouldn't. Yeah, you but should care like, about yourself enough not to. It's like, you know, the Colts, where that coaching staff was last year, had a really good three-tech. They had two really good linebackers. Mm-hmm. And it's like the defense personnel wise could probably play a cover two type of defense a little better. And I just don't think this is the way to go and want you just can't play cover two and want football. Like I don't I don't, I don't get, get it. it. I don't, I get, don't it. get it. But again, it's like you got a, you got away way with it um by playing this way last year and the last couple of years because you had good players for the specific positions you need in cover two and um, this is not you know Ben Solak told this to us on the program two weeks ago. Like, well, they 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 beat up on bad offenses a lot, and they couldn't play against good good offenses. So, anyways, I don't know. Why, I got yeah. mad. I got mad thinking about last night's. Uh, last Which night's is funny because game. I don't I don't think about that team at all anymore. <laughs> they can't hurt me. <laughs> all right, uh, before we get into the last topic of the day, just a reminder: that the Too High Podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial. While you're fo- while you focus on your roster moves, um, I need to focus on my roster moves because I'm one and two in fantasy right now. Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. <laughs> that didn't work. I'm gonna say it again. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps you advance your money moves. That's it. I read it right. Buying your first home, planning to start a family. Wondering how to make your money grow? Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to identify your needs and adjust your goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. I'm going to get roasted in the chat by Nick. For, uh, <laughs> I, can't I can't wait for that. I can't read. Okay. Um, last but not least, big game, Ole Miss uh, against Alabama. That game ended 63-48, I believe, last season. So do you so one of the things that I want to talk about with you was the issues, um, I guess broadly, the issues that uh Alabama's defense had in stopping the Lynn Kiffin offense last year. Um, I mean, first of all, nobody would know better. This is something that we agree on. Nobody would know better how to attack that stuff yeah. than, than Lane Kiffin. I mean, like a lot of the modern era of football, like Crazily enough, you know, I don't think anybody would have thought they would have been saying this in 2015, but a lot of the modern era of football in the spread kind of starts with what Kiffin was doing at Alabama anyways. Um, but whether it's, you know, the tempo for one, so that's that's the first thing. And this is a lot of the stuff we're talking about isn't even specific to Saban, but it's just it speaks to how effective it is that it causes the amount of issues that it does. So the tempo, for one, the fact that they can move as quickly as they do, um, that may that means that, you know, the ways that working out of a small set of personnel groupings can be a hindrance for a team like Clemson that doesn't move as fast. It becomes a benefit for a yep. team like Ole Miss 
because of their speed. So when you're playing up against a defense like Nick Saban's, where he wants to have the perfect call for mm. everything, the perfect personnel grouping for everything, now you can start to shrink his call sheet. You know, and that's a world that I think Kiffin is probably more comfortable with because he's not really coming in trying to run a thousand different plays anyways, right? Dude, like, I've seen Lane you've Kiffin. Wor- you've written about it. He has. He is the king of being like, I'm going to run the same play same three straight play, times. Over now, and over. They and have over. all the RPOs and stuff into it so the ball can go to different sp- spots, but it's the same play over and over again. He loves doing that stuff. And that's extremely effective as well for this offense and for a guy like Matt Corral because he always knows where he's going to end up going with the ball, right? Like, that's another effective method. Like, when you talk about other offenses, like, you know, Clemson at different points when it's been at its peak and the issues it's caused for Saban. What's well, the one thing you can kind of walk away with? You know, obviously they have ex- they had excellent quarterbacks at the time, but they were very decisive, right? Yeah. I know if I've got the one-on-one, I'm going to take the one-on-one on the outside. Mm-hmm. If I got the crosser, I'm going to take the crosser. We're not going to overthink this. If I've got a corner out, we're going to take the corner out, you know? And um, I've watched, I watched the clinic. I want to say it was Jeremy Pruitt. And I think you've seen it as well. The three by one clinic. And he was talking about, you know, kind of all the different stuff that that guys from that saving tree run at a three by one. And the one thing he said that always stuck with me was, and I, and I, I I'm not going to say it verbatim. I can't remember it verbatim, but effectively what he was getting across is if you think that you're going to beat a Nick Saban defense by dinking and dunking and being precise in intermediate areas of the field, you're going to lose every time. The only way you're going to beat them is over his head. You got to throw the ball over their heads. And a guy like Lane Kiffin is the perfect kind of guy for that, right? Like he doesn't put up, he didn't put up 48 points on Alabama by just being masterful in matriculating the ball down the field. To a certain degree, beating that defense means that you just got to say, fuck it, we're throwing it deep. If it's one-on-one, their corner is better than our receiver, but oh well, I'm throwing it deep, you know? If it's middle of the field open, throw the damn post. Yeah. Who cares? If it's incomplete, it's incomplete. But one thing you're you're never going to do, and I've watched this happen with decent offenses over and over again against Saban, is try to be super precise. Right? We're going to hit the dig. We're going to work through our progression and hit the dig. Not happening. It's not happening. I tell Those, you, I tell you that's a low percentage throw. Do that. Who's that? Uh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, well, though, I will say, I will say, Joe Burrow in 2019. What did they do to start that game? They went outside and they tested the corners, and Chase made a whole yes. bunch of big plays. Like so that they. Even with Joe, and Burrow, what that opened up in the yeah. second half was the crossers. Now later in the game, you can go to Justin Jefferson when you mm. need it, right? But but you have to attack with the Jamar Chase and a Terrace Marshall first. Yeah, you got to at least put you've got to put enough of a consideration in a defensive coach's mind that you're going to throw to the sideline. Make me believe, even if you don't believe in it, you've got to make the defensive coach believe in it. So that way you can get softer coverage or get into like get them to run like two man. Or bracket coverages where you're you're concerned more about the outside than the inside. So I, I would not be surprised. I don't think it'll be forty eight points good again. But I would yeah, not be surprised it's if back to back years. Man. Yeah, I mean, I would, but I wouldn't be surprised if they're able to move the ball. I mean, yeah. doing it in Tuscaloosa too. I mean, that's going to be tough. But yeah, I I think the other thing is besides the or in addition to the speed of which Ole Miss plays is. And I think you saw this. I could be totally wrong here, but I think you saw this against Alabama last year. Was unbalanced formations, 
and mm-hmm. I don't necessarily mean like like you know tackle over tackle over four by right. zero. It could be just three by one or something like that. But like that stuff, any type of unbalanced, encompassingly you know um, a legal unbalanced from I don't know what to call them, but like a legal unbalanced formation is the speed gets you into weird defensive issues. Mm-hmm. And I actually just on an Ole Miss podcast recently, and I brought up that. Ole Miss against LSU in 2019. Um, and I remember there was one play where they were running, and this is not Lane Kiffin, this is Rich Rodriguez, but like they were running super fast and then they got into a nub formation. And I think it was just a regular nub, three by one nub with a tight end on the backside and they ran zone read. And the end, Chason crashed. There's nobody home behind him. No one home behind him. Just because you were moving fast because you gave him an interesting formation and then people forgot Oh well, this. Oh yeah, I'm the contained player I'm contained now. Contained now. Yeah. I'm not. I can't crash on this right now. And then what ends up happening was John Rispomley was was down the sideline and the safety was at 12 yards and he beats him and then the, you're scoring touchdown. Anyways, um, yeah. So I, I just say that you know the thing with the Ole Miss offense that's crazy is just like they really don't do a lot. Like I'm sorry, but they have. So it's it, it's a it's a fun offense. I love it. I would. I say this about every offense, but I'm like, if I got back into coaching, this is the offense I would run. But uh, so they have two offenses. They go spread two by two. It's usually two by two. And they run forwards. And everyone has an adjustment. There's no locked routes. It's everyone is adjusting. If it's man to man, if it's man to man, uh, we hook at 10, 12 yards. If it's cover four, we bend it. Both receivers bend it. If it's you know cover three, then the outside receivers will, will just stop or whatever. That's that's it. Like that is the, like watch the Louisville game. That's all they did. And then then of course they're adding their jet sweeps, their fakes jets to add to the run game, and then the pop pass comes off of it. They were uh, running back uh, seam fake jet running back seam a lot. And then you saw in later games, uh, they played two other games, Austin P and Tulane, I believe, where they're coming with some interesting condensed formations now. Instead of being super spread, you're a condensed formation. What do you do in your condensed formation? Here's your crossing route. Here's your crossing route. Here's your crossing route. Here's your crossing route. And Macarell is, is more than good enough at getting to the right receiver, throwing the ball accurately, and they, they, they're able to, to do it like that. I think one of the issues is last year they played with Kenny Yeboah, a tight end, who's a really good player. And they were able to to be in 11 personnel the whole game, but like you're in a real 11 personnel because the tight end is a really good player. They don't have it this year. Like, can you beat Saban for a second year in a row and this time you you are only playing with like four receivers on the field, basically? That that scares they, me. They have that a real. They me. have a much better pass rush this year than they had last year yes. as well. Yes. Like it, it's going to be tough. But if anyone can do it, it's um, Lane Kiffin. All right. Before we end here, just a reminder that you know go to pff.com and uh, read uh, Deontay's. Uh, you do it's four likes, four dislikes, or is it two and yep. two? Yeah. Yep. Four likes, four dislikes piece that's coming out soon. Uh, you said you also wrote about the Bills this week. Yep, that should be coming out soon as well. I wrote about Zach Wilson, a very, very dreary piece about Oof. Zach Wilson. Doom and gloom, baby. Doom and gloom. Not great right now. It's not great. <laughs> uh, yeah, go on, go on pff.com. You have um, all of our locked article content. You have 
um, the college football betting dashboards, player grades, and all that good stuff. So, um, yeah. Um, and I guess this is it. Uh, we'll see you guys next week. I will be in Cincinnati live in the studio. So my voice will sound really smooth and velvety. And, uh, <laughs> and we'll talk to you guys. Uh, talk to you guys next week.